Welcome, dear readers. You are listening to Time to Read, a Winnipeg Public Library podcast book club. We are coming to you from our command center, the Carol Shields Auditorium, located in our headquarters, the Millennium Library. We are, of course, located on Treaty 1 territory and on land that is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. In this episode, we will discuss All Systems Read by Martha Wells. If there is a book you think we should discuss in the future, let us know at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca. I'm Alan Chorney, branch head of the Transcona Library, and as far as I can tell, my governor module is still intact. To my right is... <laughs> my name's Kirsten, and I am all systems Harve at the Harvey Smith Library. I just thought of that right now. I didn't prepare. <laughs> and to my... Uh, across the table is <laughs> to your across the table. Hi, I'm Erica Ball. I'm the librarian bot at the Fort Gary Library, and across the, in the other direction, joining us today is. Hi, I'm Dennis. I work in the Idea Mill, and I have downloaded lots of media to get me through this episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're so happy to have Dennis Yay! joining us because Trevor's off on ho- Holiday Land. Holiday Land, it's a good place to be. We couldn't do this without you. It's your questions and comments that form the heart of our discussion. So make us laugh or make us cry by emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or leave a comment on our website, wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Find out if your comments made it on the air by subscribing to Time to Read on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and other fine podcasting services. In a moment, Kirsten will start us off by giving us another brief bio of Martha Wells, followed by Erica, who will spoil everything with a brief synopsis. Then it is on to the discussion, which you can get in on by emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or finding us on Facebook. And don't forget to stick around to the end for a special segment, Nerd Words for Word Nerds. Kirsten, take it away. Take it away. Martha Wells, American writer of speculative fiction. She has won numerous awards, Nebula, Locus, and Hugo Awards, among others. She was born in Fort Worth, Texas, and has a BA in anthropology, which some folks have said has really given her the ability to create these complex worlds in her books. Anthropology. Yay, anthropologists. When she was still in elementary school, she'd watch reruns of Godzilla movies and then write stories about them and made elaborate maps of Monster Island. She tries to write a thousand words a day, often in bed or on her bed, and usually with the help of uh, some noise in the background like a TV. She has written short stories, novellas, and novels, and recently started to write a series of shorts for Dominaria, the next Magic the Gathering set. Oh. 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 Okay, so now I had a hard time even saying Dominaria, but obviously you all know of which I speak. (laughs) I I used to play. I was a a magic kid. Oh, there we go. Okay. So that is Martha Wells. Yay. Oh, actually, sorry. I wanted to just say one other thing, and I'm going to link this in our uh, show notes. I found this really great speech that she read, uh, she wrote and read at the 2017 World Fantasy Awards, and it's called Unbury the Future. 
And it's about secret histories, lost histories, in which she talks a lot about female writers of science fiction, African-American writers, LGBTQ writers, non-binary, and not just of science fiction, but in a lot of different areas where those writers have been sort of lost it's a very, very good speech. So is, I will link to that. Is it a link to the text or is it a link it, to a, like a, a link, video? Well, there's the... a video, but there's also the okay. text as well. So I give you both. That's cool. It's, it's really, really great. Awesome. How did we come up with this as a selection? I don't, I was wondering that. I don't, I don't remember. Well, I pushed it a while ago when I first read it. It was one of your book suggestions for something, like a book, like a book, another book you might like or something like that, this series. That was after the uh, long way to a small angry planet. Yeah. Right. Because that's how I found it was after that as well. Because they were on the same sort of lists and I was Mm. on a kick of like lady science fiction writers (laughs) at the time. (laughs) So it's been on on one of our potential to read lists. And then I think it was when Trevor said that he was going to be away this month. And Dennis said that he would sit in and we kind of said, Dennis, what looks interesting to you? And so I think it was Dennis who picked yeah, this one. Because, you yeah. know, killer robots and I right? like killer robots. So I... you can't <laughs> who doesn't? Re- you can't really lose with killer robots. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was cool. But I just I wanted to about the anthropology topic is that like I just remembered my first real in-depth exposure to ideas of gender and overlooking women really was in a gender archaeology class mm-hmm. at U of W where we talked about trying to find or interpret evidence in terms of women and children instead of in terms of men, which changed a lot of the context and a lot of the questions you asked. So that was right. that's pretty cool that that's sort of where she's coming from as well yeah. Yeah. is thinking about this. I mean, not that I mean, but in this book, <laughs> a murder bot doesn't have any parts. So the you know, sex and gender thing is, is a neutral uh, question. But we can still speak to but anyway, that. Yes. We can still speak yes. to that. But so far, we haven't done the synopsis yet. So I'm going right. to do the synopsis no now. Way. Go, Erica. So here I go. I'm going to give the first word to murder bot because I thought that the way murder bot talked about itself or themselves and the way was pretty much, what you call it? Perfect. Pretty much perfect. Pretty much spot on. Very whatever. So this is the quote that really stood out for me as to the character of Murderbot. So I'm awkward with actual humans. I know I'm a horrifying Murderbot and they know it. And it makes both of us nervous, which makes me even more nervous. The self-named Murderbot would have you believe it doesn't really want to do its stupid, boring job protecting the humans surveying an unknown planet. That it would rather binge watch media content alone. But when an unknown life form attacks one of the team it's assigned to protect, Murderbot is forced to not only start paying attention, but actually needs to talk to the humans, which is excruciating. When the humans try to include it, ask it questions, and worst of all, treat it like a person, Murderbot must confront its own social awkwardness and self-consciousness, all the while trying to solve the mystery of what or who is trying to kill them all. Yeah, That's well, my synopsis. Wouldn't we want to read that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, for a character that calls itself Murderbot, I could only think of one person that had killed the whole book. Yeah, it worked really, really hard to stop people from being murdered. Like, was there more than the one Deltfall sec unit? Uh, that it actually kills? Yeah, like it disabled a couple at one point, and it, you know, that giant hostile one that burst out of the ground, it wounded it so that yeah. it withdrew. But didn't I'd, it kill, like, a whole bunch it has before, a mysterious backstory. or we don't know that for sure well that was before this book though but in the book itself yes right yes 
Yeah. There's only one yep. murder yeah. you can attribute to Murderbot. So right. I thought that was no, interesting. That's true. I think yeah. it's a uh, self-deprecating name mm-hmm. based on its ac- acknowledgement that it was really only made to have weapons and be a weapon. Maybe it's a never forget that you're a Murderbot, that you're, you, you murdered all those people. Well, it certainly seems to have been a very pivotal moment <laughs> in the existence of this I but, unit. I kind of interpreted it as a uh, shame Mm. Yeah, yeah, like, mm-hmm. like a self shame. Murderbot was ashamed of what had happened For sure. in the past, and basically beat itself up constantly by calling itself a murderbot. Yeah, and yeah, the whole thing is like uh, a character responding to trauma. Yeah, yeah, and self blame. Mm, poor murderbot. Did you guys like get that feeling more than just like the name? Because I, I don't. I, I would agree with you that the name definitely felt that way. But I don't know that I, I got that murderbot beat themselves up over their past a lot. Well, it's hard because I've read the following two parts. So part of what you learn there maybe is coloring my perception of this part. But I think that like when I first read it as well, that you can see its desire to be on its own. It's denial of that it should be treated like a person. Yeah. It's you know, like reluctance to engage with the humans now, could all stem from now like that, a self-punishment or like a, I don't know what I'm going to do. Now that thing. I think about it, the whole murder bot uh, running away at the end from the life that they should want kind of gives it a bit of a, I don't want to be here kind of thing. I, w- yeah. I want to run away. I also thought the whole time Murderbot insisting that it didn't care mm-hmm. was yeah. also, it was another form of armor for it. Like I'd like to yeah. be in its armor and, and uh, have its helmet opaque so that no one could see it or talk to it. Oh man. And also insisting the whole time that, well, I don't, I don't care. This is I a stupid job. I'm only yeah. doing this uh, half-assed anyway. Mm-hmm. And I don't uh, even know what planet we're on. That's how little I care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it still goes out of its way ignoring orders that it thinks will cause damage to its people uh yeah. you know and really not wanting anyone to see their emotion yeah. not wanting to have emotion but right. that's why wanting to have that shield down so that yeah. nobody could even see that they well, have emotion like, i know people like that who are like right i am a robot i don't have this table emotion right <laughs> <laughs> i'm not don't pointing look at me. yeah no <laughs> the one the scene that really like really tore at me was when the murder bot wakes up in the the med bay or whatever and doesn't have its suit on mm-hmm. and can't look at the people that are talking to it and so it's watching the whole thing through the video camera through the video feed mm-hmm. and then when it gets really when it gets really overwhelmed it goes and it stands in the corner and it looks in yeah. the corner and i was like oh my gosh like that's so many feelings like that's so but yeah. also understandable for you know anyway yeah i think the character really speaks to all of us introverts because <laughs> <Just a little laughs> we're all like oh the idea that you can put up a shield and you can just w- turn on a show and watch it and ignore everyone else and just that would be amazing and, just put yourself in a corner put yourself facing the wall too yeah. much. Or, or having having the feed going on in the background so you can watch media content while you're sort of also watching the humans I like know. that would be great very awesome when you're on the bus or something you can just have it playing i, I really like the scene at the end where murderbot was like in the crowd of people and they're like oh in a crowd That's i'm anonymous right. yeah. yeah yeah that was that yeah. was a cool realization yeah yeah so what a character what a good character i thought and then when I was writing my um, my synopsis, it occurred to me that one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, and uh, maybe it was because that this time around, I, I listened to the audiobook version of it, mm. and it was really hit when the other, when the human characters would call it, 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 
mm. because like they're they're discussing its personhood, but they're still calling it it. And I'm like, I kind of just wanted them to start saying they or right. some sort of gender neutral pronoun, which you'd figure in a future where people have like multiple partner like setups and stuff, maybe gender wouldn't be such a big deal and there'd be gender neutral options. But then when I was writing my synopsis, I couldn't suddenly start calling it they because that's not the way it is in the book. Yeah. So it was kind of weird because I was going to try to talk about them like a person instead of like an it, like an object. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, Murderbot didn't express a preference for, uh, you know, how to be described. Yeah. Yeah. But seemed perfectly fine with it, you know, I, and the, but it was tied up with, is it a person and all those conversations and their, and the, the Murderbot's own feelings about whether or not it is a person and whether it should be treated like a person, which it didn't feel like it should have been. Yeah. But which even, they didn't feel like they should have been. Assuming you do treat Murderbot as a person, and one of the interesting things about the uh, crew is that all of them immediately agreed that it was a person. Clearly a person. You know, even yeah. uh, Garrethan, there was that one line, you know, where they were saying, no, you have to think of it as a person. And he's yeah. like, I do. I think of it as a heavily armed, angry <laughs> person who has no reason to trust us. Yes. But it's a person. Yes. You know, um, yeah. but it's not a person, like it's not a human. Right. Right. So it may be perfectly appropriate in this culture and environment. Right. Yeah. Because it's still, it's a construct. It's yeah. not a, but what, still what just considered a full it, human. Well, I mean, like, I think what Dennis is saying, like that it, like you could Im imagine an alternate reality where it is a perfectly appropriate. Totally. Neutral pronoun. Especially if you've got situations in which there's like levels of augmented humans and then constructs and then droids and then robots and then AIs that run cargo ships and like like a continuum of like how much human, what did it call it? Like matter, not human matter, but it was like, ah. Was it organic? Organic matter. Organic, yeah. Yeah. That's well, something he's made out of. And they mentioned to uh, Murderbot at one point that in preservation bots have rights. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. And referring in that case to actual bots, like with no organic components. Yeah. And then constructs would fall under the same rules. Yeah. So. But they need a guardian. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a. Which is it, is it full rights or is it not full rights? If you for, have a for guardian. For a novella, I'm realizing I didn't like retain <laughs> tons of, <laughs> of the details as you guys discussed Well, this is my second go around. I she know. Writes, so I've been thinking about good. it and yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing, too, is like a lot of the story, like it's all told from Murderbot's perspective. And Murderbot is intentionally not interested in the world around it, mm -hmm. right? It wants to stick to the serials and other things like that. So we don't really get a lot of characterization for most of the characters mm -hmm. because Murderbot's not even looking at them, right? He's, <laughs> it's just not that interested in all the details about the universe. And then also keeps pointing out that its education modules were crap. Yeah. Because yeah, all it right. needed to know was how to kill things. Yeah. And outside of that, everything it learned was from watching media. And then yeah. every once in a while, you'd get Murderbot saying something like, they'd observe things uh, like the relationship between between two of the, right. the folks in their world. Yeah. And how it liked how they were together. And I thought that was interesting. That was sort of getting a bit later on into the story where obviously... It's sort of noticing some of it's, those human <laughs> relationship things. And then at the very end, too, calling, see, I don't remember anybody's name, but anyway, <laughs> his, he had that, his favorite or its favorite human. You Dr. Know? Mensa. Dr. Yeah. Mensa. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Mensa. Yeah. Mensa wasn't so bad for a human, I think. Exactly. For the well, murder bot. Dr. Mensa yeah. was kick-ass. Like, she was. Yeah, she really yeah. was. I was trying at one point to think, like, if this was a made into a serial. 
which it should be. Yeah. Right. Who would play Dr. Mensa? Who would play Dr. Mensa is a good question. in my imagination, it was Sigourney Weaver because she's the most kick-ass actress I know. <laughs> and I thought, well, who else that could be? That would work. <laughs> that would work. Yeah, it has to be somebody pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was thinking when Dennis was talking about how Murderbot doesn't pay attention to, to the outside world as much. And then I'm, now I'm wondering if that kind of ties into the length of the novel, because that's one of the questions we put out there, which was uh, all systems read is just 150 pages long. Do you think a novella is long enough to create a whole world and tell a complete story? Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering if the small condensed sliver of the world that Murderbot sees is echoed in the in the format of the novella. Yeah, this is an interesting question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alan, for raising that. I don't, think, I don't think I thought about it in exactly that way before, because my answer was going to be, um, yeah, this is a full and complete story. But then I was thinking that compared to the, the discussion we had last time on books in a series and what a difference it makes is if it's planned as a series or as a standalone. And I think when she wrote this in her head, it was just like episode one yeah. of the Murderbot Diaries, yeah. right? So it is its own little mystery of like who's trying to kill us, but it's also obviously part of the larger story of what's going on with Murderbot and what happened with it, like killing all those people somehow in a mysterious way. So in a way, yes, and in a way, no. I read an article or an interview with her and she, with Martha Wells, and she said that the first one was actually intended to be a short story. And then as she got into the story, she realized it really needed to be longer, but that the novella was the length that she would, she, she, I don't think she ever, she ever thought that it was going to be a novel. Interesting that there's like always a length for a story, but I want to bring in someone emailed us in today. Fatima emailed us at wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca, just like you can. And she said, let's talk about the novella format. It's not a huge seller in publishing. But Tor Publishing has built this great arm with novellas. I believe it allows authors to tell a story without resorting to a bad novel or a middling novel with a Mm. lot of padding. How many times have you read a novel and thought, you know, it would be better if it didn't do this long? Yes. All Systems Read story is really a mini mystery within the beginnings of an arc. Doesn't need padding. And I bet Wells, the last character's lead in the story. We have high stakes, spots running amok, and one self-aware sec bot with a hole in its memory, unsure about relating to people. For Wells to move from novellas to a forthcoming novel, it means she has a humdinger of a story to tell, which is a really interesting thought to reflect on, you know, how much work she puts into a novella to look forward to, you know, she's going to do a good job of a novel. It's going to be really interesting to see if and what are the differences between the way she structures a novella and a novel. And I kind of have the feeling that what I would do is take the first three, the first three books, the novellas, and publish them as one book, and then have the the sequel, so that's like two well, volumes. Well, no, but there's a fourth novella, and then oh. she's also publishing a full length novel. That's oh, there's a whole other one before the full length novel. Yeah, <gasps> and the novel is in this series as well, yeah. or no? In this universe, I, but the the novella series is like a complete story arc. Okay. Like it, a lot of things come full circle by the time you get to the fourth one. Oh, it's exciting. Yeah, you should definitely read be, the fourth one. <laughs> I haven't read the fourth one. I don't. Well, maybe I have. I don't remember. It. Uh, I forget when it came out. Artificial but, uh, condition. Um, I can't remember. Exit strategy oh, okay. Exit is the strat- last one. Oh, right. Exit strategy. I have not read. Yeah. Have you read it? Yes. <gasps> 
Well, mm-hmm. that's the thing. I read the first one and I was like, oh, okay, I got to so read. So you read four. I read all four. Okay. Yeah. That's one nice thing about novellas is that they're quick. Yeah. Like when I did a reread of this one, I read the whole thing in one day. So, that's you know, nice. I like that. I do. But the like good thing too. too is that because I kept hearing from people saying, oh, and then it ends and then you got to read the next one. Mm. But you know what? You don't have to as well. <laughs> like, like you can read it and it's yep. a complete story. Like, yes, you can. You know, it's perfectly it, satisfying. It, it can end yep. where it ends. Yep. Yeah. So well, not for me because I, I mean, was like, "Where's he going?" Obviously, lots of people really don't don't feel yeah. that way. But you know, but also I fell, I fell in love with Murderbot. So yes, and I so just wanted to hang out with Murderbot that. more. So are you going to read the rest, Kirsten? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I don't know if I will. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I you guys are crazy. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. So I was just on holidays and I was traveling with my friend Cheryl. Shout out to Cheryl, big fan of the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for listening. And she actually started reading uh, the series because of your recommendation oh. from before, and she just nice. loved it so much. So she said that she was uh, reading. She does a lot of reading on her phone, and what she found that it was quite difficult because she wouldn't actually know when she was actually at the end. Because when you're reading an actual physical book, okay, I'm almost near the end. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And and how can this now be over? But for her, she said it felt so sort of jarring. It was like, what? That, that's, that's it, it? <laughs> yeah that's it is this an incomplete file that's right yeah. exactly yeah, yeah yeah i felt like that too is when i was getting even just at, with the book book i was getting towards the end and i'm like okay is it just gonna like live happily ever after now yeah, yeah. because this is clearly the end of the book and yeah. then it left and i was like oh, what what <laughs> yeah. the, oh, where the, the ending was really abrupt like yeah. there is that whole scene and murderbot uh, knocks dr mensa off the ledge and then basically mm-hmm. shuts down because it's too much damage. Yeah. And then when it wakes up again, a whole bunch of stuff has happened. Yeah. Like, obviously, the rescue ship came. They got off the planet. Great Chris people maybe got arrested. We were not absolutely sure. But yeah. then and they started doing all this legal stuff to take possession of Murderbot. And all that happened off camera. Right. Which I like. I, I don't need too. to go into all that detail. I, You know, that's fine. Because stuff happened. And now we're back into the meat the of the story. It's the Murderbot's diary. Yeah. And also... It's apparently a letter to Dr. Mensa, because at the end, it says something about addressing it all yeah. to Dr. Mensa, which was another thing that broke my heart a little bit, because I think Murderbot's got kind of a it was Yeah, it was, a nice, it was a nice, like, yeah. small twist at the end that it was a letter, but now I'm like, huh, I think maybe the Murderbot letters might have been even a cooler title than the Murderbot Diaries. Oh, but Diary, I don't know. But then it's not a twist. Right, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> It, it was a real punch to the gut, though, that last paragraph. You know, it's like, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. What was the other? There was another part that I was going to say that always that always gets to me. Oh, the first time that it refers to the humans as my humans. Oh. It, said, it calls it them my humans a couple times and then says something like, I love my humans or my humans are the best. And I was like, oh, my, my icy heart. You don't, you don't think that that's a little creepy? No. Really? Because it's like my friends. It's my team. I guess you I know? guess I you know I guess I could see that inclusive... in the in the in the world there but if like if anyone started calling you their human <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it'd be a little weirded out <laughs> just step back yeah especially if it was a bot with guns in its arms <laughs> especially especially if it was a murder bot I'll tell you the line that got me too and yeah. it's it's kind of a trope so maybe it's a cheat but when uh murder bot had been damaged and Pinley leaned over and said uh, and I said, this unit is at minimal functionality and it is recommended that you discard it. Yeah. It's an automatic reaction triggered by catastrophic malfunction. 
Also, I didn't really want them to try to move me because it hurt bad enough the way it was. <laughs> Your contract allows... Shut up, Mensa snapped. <laughs> you shut the F up. We're not leaving you. Yeah. And I just mm -hmm. got little chills. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's like, don't leave me behind. And they're like, no, we will not leave you behind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So since we all have favorite lines, Yes. I'm going to I'm going to segue but I'm going to put my favorite line a little bit later on um and then bring up this question cuz my line will come in later. We asked Murderbot relies a lot on viewing entertainment media to cope with its boring and stressful situations. What's your go-to movie or series when you want to de-stress? Which I thought is a a good It's question. good. It's a really good one. I uh I right now I'm rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine for like the first uh, time because that mm -hmm. is a silly show and uh Andy but Sandberg's the best. Andy Sandberg's the best. <laughs> and it's just like, well, I mean, I guess like this, it's just, it's like a ragtag crew. I love a ragtag crew, but they like form their little family unit and they like look after each other and they're all ridiculous, but everybody just does their own thing. So I like, like it's just something silly and charming and positive after I get tired of the real world. An interviewer actually asked Martha Wells what her favorite escape uh, TV show to binge watch is and... She said, I have a lot of favorites. I love Elementary, Doctor mm. Who, The Expanse, Star Trek, Discovery, and The Flash. And I was a big fan of Stargate Atlantis, SG-1, and Farscape. I also watch a lot of British mysteries on Netflix or PBS like Luther, Shetland, Lewis, and Endeavor, with plus subtitled mysteries from a lot of other countries. <laughs> so sci-fi <laughs> mysteries. At, like I said in my bio, she, she likes to write with the TV on. So. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would be like so hard. But like, but look, if Murderbot for... can do it, that's yeah. right. That's but, her. But her answer is kind of like, what's your favorite media? All of it. All of it. <laughs> all of it. I will watch it all. It will all entertain me and distract me. But have you guys seen Luther? Yeah. No, oh, my gosh. I, I've seen some of it. Uh, There's a show. Of seasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you listed all of Martha Wells. What's your go-to like, um, media? Well, if I'm just like trying to sort of escape, you know, BBC mystery Things yeah. like Broadchurch or what was that called? The Top of the Lake. Like some of these, yeah, mysteries, but also kind of beautiful to watch mm. and yeah, that kind of thing. I feel like I agree with Martha Wells and her like all media approach. Like there's there's so much media <laughs> that I watch. Like I so I like limited to it to movies that I've like watched over. 10 times mm -hmm. oh, see i just don't so, do that yeah. i don't rewatch things no I, i'm more likely to watch movies more yeah. over again than i am to watch movie series but my list is moneyball gattaca donnie darko chasing amy conversations with other women requiem for a dream revolutionary road closer <laughs> rounders and goodwill hunting yeah, it's quite wow. a mix <laughs> the only movie i've seen a lot of times is princess bride oh yeah. which i can watch anytime yeah when i used to watch like the Simpsons used to be my, uh, you know, need to relax and thing. When we were younger, we had a videotape of just episodes of The Simpsons. We just put it on and we'd probably seen them all like 10 times. That's part of it. It's the familiarity of it when you yeah. watch things like that. Well, that's one of the things I saw mentioned somewhere about the Murderbot's tendency to watch media is that uh, it's a form of self-care, mm. right? And it's something you don't often see in a lot of novels or, or stories is just a character needing to take care of itself and finding some way to, to do that. Yeah. And Murderbot did a lot of that. Yeah. I feel sometimes too getting engrossed in media can be self 
not care <laughs> as, as, as well. Yeah, it depends. Uh, yeah. One, one of the scariest things that, I guess not scariest, I should maybe tone this down a bit, but so I play a lot of PlayStation video games and each year they send you a list of like how many hours you've logged. <laughs> and... oh. <laughs> Why would they do that? <laughs> I, I don't know because it so made, like me, a it made me, but it, it certainly was for me because last yeah. year I had two two video games that I played over 200 hours. And uh-huh. like well over a thousand hours in video game, wow. which is just like when you compare it to terrifying. other hobbies, though I don't know if that's. Oh, that I mean, if it's it what you enjoy it, doing, it, yeah. then why not spend your time doing it? Because I, I think because then I look at it in terms of benefit. Like, what are my benefits? Like joy. I just see. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but but sometimes I'm like, feel. is it joy or is it just distraction? Yeah, if it's that's joy, true. it's fine. And but sometimes it it it's borders into distraction, which yeah. is which is bad. If you're, you know, I could have learned to play the guitar. Or the- <laughs> but you know what? Like there is that phenomenon called flow, where you go into that relaxed state when you're doing something that doesn't take a lot of conscious input, yeah. and it's very very good for you to go into that state. There's also like the walking. state of there's also mm-hmm. the state of throw. Which would be better than I know. I was just gonna say. <laughs> yeah. No, the state of throw when you've played the game and you're getting killed by this <laughs> boss monster over and over and you end up throwing <laughs> your you controller just, across the room. I have been there. Yeah. <laughs> there there's definitely the flow state in video games. And yeah. then there's the like, why can't I put this down? Then there's the like potential like addictive behavior. Yeah. Where I'm just yeah. doing this boring, repetitive thing over and over again. But I love this game so much in other ways that I can't stop. Right. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Although in the case case of the story too, like for Murderbot, it's literally the only other thing it can do aside from its job. Oh yeah, I totally, I I totally wasn't implying that Murderbot uh, has a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, in the case, like I'm saying, I have a problem. Yeah. (laughs) This is a safe place, and I'm not calling you a robot, Alan. I honestly am not. You're one of our humans. (laughs) (laughs) One of our favorite humans. Yeah. But uh, but my favorite line, which is kind of tangentially related to this topic, is when Murderbot's like, I like the imaginary people on the entertainment <laughs> feed way more than I like the real ones. But you can't have one without the other. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite yeah. line. I wrote it down, page 117. We would have underlined it. it in this in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. There's, yeah, there was an interesting the other. There was an interesting thing that when I was rereading, I realized about that statement, too. Like that statement came out of that discussion with Garethan, right? Where Garethan was like... Uh, In the audiobook, he pronounces it Garothan. Garothan? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll assume the, uh, I don't know. that he's probably correct. <laughs> Garothan says to him, you don't blame humans for what you were forced to do, for what happened to you. This is why I'm glad I'm not human. They come up with stuff like this. I said, oh, yeah. no, that's a human thing to do. Constructs aren't that stupid. What was I supposed to do? Kill all humans because the ones in charge of constructs in the company were callous? But what I was thinking when I was rereading that, too, was that, like, that's a large part of the reason Garathan didn't trust Murderbot the whole time and why he kept questioning him and testing him is because his fear was that Murderbot was legitimately angry and hateful for what had been done to it. Yeah. There was a, an interview Maybe that thing. says more about Garathan than about... <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I was, I was thinking of it in the context of reconciliation mm. stuff because, like, the like author... If, if it were me, I would be angry kind of thing. Well, because in the the author mentions in a in an interview that a lot of the stories about AIs being people are often often end up essentially being slave narratives, mm-hmm. and they're not considered persons partly so you can justify having them be slaves to you. Mm. 
And so the idea that, okay, they realize this isn't a mindless mechanistic thing. It's a person and they've been treating it like crap. They're part of the system that's been treating it like crap. What happens if they give it freedom mm -hmm. or if it gets freedom? Will it take it out on them? And yeah. I think a lot of times when, you know, people are discussing like this with reparations for slavery in the U.S. with, uh, you know, reconciliation with indigenous peoples in Canada, a lot of people are kind of afraid that if we actually started going by the treaties, for example, or um, things like that, that the people who have been oppressed for so long will take it out on us. Yeah. And in this case, it's a small box and Murderbot could literally kill them all. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an expression of a fear that a lot of society faces in situations where we're trying to correct uh, that yeah. kind of oppression. Yeah, there's that fear of the loss of power. What would it look like if I give over some of this power that I maybe I'm not supposed to have to begin with, but like who knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah, and I think that's sometimes a justification is like in slave narratives or the slave stories, like when we were reading like Washington Black, yeah. there was that whole thing, well, he's free now. What's he going to do if yeah. he gets a chance? Would he take out a bit of revenge? It was it was really heavier in Underground Railroad when they kept talking about how, especially when the, well, what was the community? It was, was it in Carol, North Carolina, South Carolina? Uh, the community that was all, that was a lot of escaped slaves. Mm. Yeah. And they were talking about how there's so many more of them around than the white people. And the white people are scared yeah. because what are they going to do That's now right. that they're free and society and white people have been so horrible to them. So, mm -hmm. But that only occurred to me like on the third That's rereading really. of the I was just going to say those. <laughs> like, the first that time I glossed over it. insightful. I love that. Yeah. 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 yeah it's true. It's very true. But and I, and I just wanted to just shout, give a shout out to the phrase "kill all humans" because she used it at least, at least twice, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, and I think that's an awesome phrase that I know from. I don't know if that's where it came from, but from Futurama when the robot would say, "Hey, baby, you want to kill all humans?" And so when she uses it twice, she uses it there, and then it, with the rogue sec units saying that they could have just been hijacked for another order, and as long as it's not too complex. And then she says, "In my head, Murderbot is a her." Anyway, and I noticed in your yeah, you referred to it as he, but anyway, um, See, I thought that you were talking about Martha Wells, but well, I mean, Martha I Wells also, writing yeah, yeah, through yeah, whatever, yeah. but said, "Kill all humans is not a complex order," which I thought was a great <gasps> quote, and I tried to post it on Facebook, but then they like gave me like this thing of like we're going to review your content <laughs> oh. because it has kill all humans in it so i deleted it That's but um funny. so i don't want to get in trouble with facebook but anyways yeah so shout out to kill all humans which is a which i guess brings up this whole other question on screening uh, on social media right? of you know your completely i guess rational or logical or commentary on society is kind of being censored or self-censored by facebook algorithms Br yes broad yeah. broad net there so tech yeah the other thing I liked about the story, like a lot of science fiction will take modern concerns and put them into a futuristic context. And one of the things this one did, like, since we were speaking of Facebook, is they mentioned near the beginning that, you know, the bond company required the, the sec unit there and clients didn't like it. And one of the reasons they didn't like it is because the sec unit was recording all of their conversations and then they would data mine it afterwards. <laughs> and they said, no, they don't tell people that. Yes, everybody does know it. No, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and it's exactly was, the same. Yeah. yeah. Facebook knows you just said kill all humans and just check and see no if there's you get, nothing i can do about it and just check and see if you start getting ads for robot building tools or, you know. <laughs> or something i don't know what i'm going to start getting ads for it's so weird could be anything yeah that's the the creepiest is when you start getting ads 
And then especially when you don't know where the ads came from. Yeah. Based on, because I was just talking to my sister about that. You email a joke about like, we should get pizza sometime. And then you keep getting ads for like pizza places. And you're like, thanks, I have a pizza place. (laughs) 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 Your suggestion, Google ad. So I guess one of the questions that we also asked is murder bought a reliable narrator and do we care? Yeah, on Instagram, Erica Martaby said, oh, that's, that's you. <laughs> oh, I know. Do what I did care? I say, though? No, I don't remember. I'm oh. just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. <laughs> You're just so trusting of Murderbot. You know so- what? And like while we've been sitting here, I'm thinking about how much Murderbot loves ridiculous shows and whether or not any of this is some sort of like Murderbot fever dream imagination. Like, I'm going to kill everything and save the humans. But I don't care. Like... <laughs> Murderbot's just I, some sort of subroutine in a corner of a network somewhere sure. just churning out this whole story. It's so much fun. I just, yeah, I don't care if it's not reliable. <laughs> Who came up with that question? I don't know. You? Do you me? Was it you? It might have been me. Yeah. That, okay, that was me. I'm all about the oh, reliable which, narrator. Which, like, wondering if, like, if, there, if you thought there was anything that... that I think I'm made... often thinking that when I'm reading books. Is it's this? a recurring like thing a, in our conversations. Is it reliable? I and mean, plus, I, it's a murder bot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, yeah, but weirdly, you kind of didn't get that impression that it was unreliable. I think one of the only things that made me kind of distrust Murderbot was that Murderbot would constantly be, you know, monitoring the feeds of everybody, mm-hmm. which was, I was like, yeah, that's kind of mm-hmm. not cool, but. But literally it's job. So. It's security, right? Yeah. Security yeah. versus privacy. The age old question. <laughs> the only way I could see Murderbot as un- an unreliable narrator is that in the sense that Murderbot doesn't have a lot of experience in the world, except for the part where it stands around and tries to keep people from killing each other and maybe kills people. So it's understanding of everything else in the universe is limited just because of uh so it might be missing some contextual clues that could change what it's seeing a lot of the clues are from like the serials serials. yeah it'd be interesting to go through and look and see how murderbot frames everything from the Mm -hmm. from the perspective of of watching viewing entertainment the first time i read through this one of the things i thought about is uh like what makes Murderbot different from all the other sec units, right? When it describes uh, hacking the governor module, it says, well, all the modules are standard. So he just, you know, and he had to download from the manual, basically. It was capable of doing it, but none of the other units do that. And apparently it's that not that hard. That we know of. That we know yeah. of, yeah. But it's like mm-hmm. the first thing it did was start watching media. <laughs> and there's a theory uh, that, that's been studied a few times that the rise of empathy in humanity is largely driven by the rise of fiction, mm-hmm. of novels, of people being able to get in someone else's head. And that's also where like a lot of Murderbot's tactical knowledge comes in. It said at one point, you know, uh, this wasn't in our download, but he saw this on a serial. Mm-hmm. Imagination. <laughs> yeah. But just also caring enough to break the rules and, uh, you know, ignore orders from the hub system in order to protect something it wouldn't have had much motivation to do except it started getting involved in serials and feeling like it was connected to humanity somehow mm-hmm. and you know as library workers it's uh, a positive message that i good, think we can encourage read more should. books kill fewer people <laughs> <laughs> yep imagine create anyway <laughs> i was just i took it a step further in my head because it's it's creating new behavior for itself and it's imagining things 
that are quite different than what it's being told or what it was programmed to do. Well, and there's definitely lots of, because I do a lot of work with prisons and um, in terms of like trying to kind of make the case for us bringing in books or certain books. And we often talk about reading fiction helps yeah. build empathy. Yeah. yeah. That just reminded me of something Fatima said in her email, and I'm trying to find it here, which I can't. So I'll just that, paraphrase it. That she she was, says she, that technology first and foremost comes from humans and still needs humans. Oh, that's something she said. That's something she that said. That was pretty good. That was mm. pretty good. I was going uh, to paraphrase her. She said she had the novellas earmarked to donate to the prison. Oh, after. right. Oh, excellent. <laughs> right. Lovely. We will take them. Identity theft, data breaches, government surveillance, digital privacy is something more and more people are concerned about. Winnipeg Public Library's Digital Privacy Guide shares reliable information about your privacy rights in Canada, online and offline resources on the trends of data tracking, as well as tips and tools to help you protect your identity and data online. Find out about the four Manitoba laws that are in place to protect your personal information. Learn more about big data, digital citizenship, browser fingerprinting, password security, and other things that affect you online. To access the Digital Privacy Guide, go to winnipeg.ca slash library and click on the Info Guide button, where you'll find the Digital Privacy Guide and more than two dozen other information guides. Stay safe out there. Okay, so I think we're going to move into our Can You Tell Me a Book You Would Also Like segment. Yeah, I have, have a, I have a cop recommendations? out. A cop out. Uh-huh. Because is, is it is it the second novella? No, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. But it is what it really reminded me of was the AI Lovelace parts in A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. So I'm just yeah, gonna you're refer just gonna back do to... a cir- circular recommendation. <laughs> yes, I am because the the character Jenks would uh, may always make a point of being very polite and respectful to any AI that they encountered in that book and listen to it do its whole spiel even if it wasn't sentient. And that just sort of feel is echoed in these people realizing that constructs and stuff are worthy of respect. Which is, I guess we haven't talked about this, but I thought about it during this discussion, is is something that's fast coming up with with artificial intelligence, increasing, you know, smartness and and how that's going to play out. Will they achieve sentience? Which I first encountered in Orson Scott Card sequels to Ender's Game. There becomes a, uh, it's not really an AI, but it's um, sort of an interplanetary network, kind of like the internet that eventually reaches enough connections that it becomes similar to its own mind. And this consciousness rises out of it and names itself Jane. And then, and is a character in one of the, the, Enders, uh, the sequels to Ender's Game, or the which movie, was a really cool thing. The movie Her, in which the operating system becomes yeah, yeah. conscious. Those are, yeah, I guess that's more of an unintentional AI than that's a, true. intentional AI. <laughs> Any other recommendations? I'll go next. I'll go next. I mean, you know, um, of course, my uh, book suggestion slash recommendation slash I was I read this next. I was just on vacation. And uh, so I I read Murderbot first because it was nice and short. And then the vacation took a little bit of a turn. And so it was became quite tough and emotional. So on the plane ride back, I was thinking about reverting to a book that makes me feel good and sort of a comfort read. So I was rereading parts of A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit, which are short, 
essays that are very personal, philosophical. I don't know if you've read Rebecca Solnit before. I think I've already suggested one of her books before as well. She's a really beautiful writer. And in the this field guide, she explores loss and uncertainty and desire and memory and sort of stumbling through life either intentionally or not intentionally and growing through that. Yeah, sort of how we use stories in order to find our way through the world. So yeah, so I found myself revisiting that book as sort of a comfort read. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. I'm going to recommend a life goal that I have not yet achieved. Um, I think you often suggest (laughs) books that you actually haven't read, but (laughs) good. I think I've only done it once, but be- once before, <laughs> once before, but I'm going to do it again. Do it. I'm going to recommend Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Um, that is so <laughs> that you say that. I'll tell you why after. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the polar opposite of a novella. It's like huge. I, I can't remember if it makes the top 10 longest novels of all time or or if it comes close but anyway one of the central themes of infinite jest is this uh, piece of media called i think it's called infinite jest that uh, once you start watching you like literally can't stop watching it so it's used as kind of like a murdering device in that you'll forgo um personal cleanliness or eating so you'll just like kind of die in your own sloth if someone is this on in front of you so yeah, which uh, which I'm recommending because we were talking about um, viewing entertainment media. <laughs> so that's <laughs> okay, that's the tie-in. <laughs> so that was really weird because I'm reading, and I can't remember now, uh, the book I'm also reading, it's called All Things Shining, and it's a nonfiction about rereading the classics mm-hmm. to reinvigorate modern life with more meaning and stuff. Yeah. And it, it came out of a previous podcast where I think it was my nerd word. Oh, it was the poetry one. And I had, it was poesy. And I started reading about that. And then this book was mentioned as part of the definition of what that was. So I've been meaning to read it. I'm finally reading it. And the second chapter is about David Foster Wallace and his nihilism. But uh, also the way that he was struggling with the questions of like, what's the point of living in this time and place where we are now? And his, how his books are kind of like self-referential with pages of footnotes yeah. and just dealing with this weighty stuff and like the depression that he suffered and stuff like that. So it's really weird that that was your recommendation. Yes, it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. So um, I haven't been reading as many novels and stuff lately. So reading Murderbot actually got me uh, back on a bit of a sci-fi kick again because oh, nice. it's it's been a while since I read sci-fi, but I enjoy it. On the cover of most of the Murderbots, I think uh, it's got that quote from Anne Leckie, I uh, love Murderbot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and interestingly enough, they also had a comment from her on the cover of Becky Chambers' books, oh, no uh, the, like the A Closed in Common Orbit, uh, which was the follow-up to Long Way to a, a Small Angry Planet. And when I was looking at lists of books people might like, uh, Anne Leckie keeps coming up. So I actually read Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie, which is the first novel in the Imperial Ratch series. And I have to be honest, I usually don't like books that create too much of a world. Yeah. Like when they start creating uh, bits of their own language and get really mm. deep into culture and stuff like that. So like Game of Thrones stuff where there's all this, all this lore really involved. In. Yeah. yeah, or Tolkien. I actually... I started reading the Silmarillion once and it was just oh, way too yeah, that's like, a lot. <laughs> you know, so I went into this one kind of uh, expecting not to like it much, but uh, it drew me in really well. 
It follows a character named Breck, who is the last surviving piece of an artificial intelligence that used to run a spaceship and thousands of ancillary units. Um, and now just exists in one body. And Breck's voice is very different from Murderbot's. Like Murderbot is flippant. <laughs> Murderbot is almost a, a like an emo teen <laughs> in terms of the sarcasm, sarcasm. and the cynicism yeah. and, and stuff like which that. Which is why we like which it. Is <laughs> which is very like it really drew it drew me in. Mm-hmm. But Breck is very even-handed and somehow feels like a two thousand-year-old entity that's so even. And all these little bits of culture and description of uh, history and things like that in the novel end up building up to a really a couple of really intense points. So I was I was kind of amazed by it. Mm-hmm. And well, gonna, what I'm was the be, name of that novel, novel again? It's Ancillary Justice, and uh, yeah, first part of a title. series. And I'm going to read the other ones in the series too because uh, it was really good. This is what happens when you start uh, <laughs> reading Murderbot. You never know where you'll end <laughs> you up. You never know where. It, yeah, well, back to reading fiction again. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Nerd Words for Word Nerds, the part of each show where our hosts boil down their most prevalent thoughts of the past month into one who wants to go first. I can go first this time. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> my nerd word is ancillary. Ah, <laughs> perfect. Uh, which is, uh, as an adjective, uh, means providing necessary support to the primary activities or operation of an organization, institution, industry, or system. And as a noun means a person whose work provides necessary support to the primary activities, yada, yada, yada. And I like the concept of ancillary because I often feel like most of the things I've done in my life have been ancillary to (laughs) another person or organization's primary motive. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we work in a library where uh, all of us are typically front desk a lot, but we depend a lot on the ancillary support that we get from support services and other Mm -hmm. uh, staff within the library. staff, yeah. And uh, I don't know, that was just on my mind just because I hadn't heard it before. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. It's No, it is a great concept. And I think something that gets overlooked a lot is all of the work that goes in for whoever or whatever is the scene tip of the iceberg, right? Can I go next? Yes. I, I thought you might want to. Go. So mine word doesn't have anything to do with anything because I didn't, I didn't really have a word that was kicking around except for the word it which I mentioned why before I was like, what is, that's a weird word, it, like, what is that even? So I sort of lazily like started searching for etymology it, and that doesn't produce any useful results. So, um, but what did pop up was something called an introduction to etymology, eight great word origins. And it was on a Babel magazine website. And it was just eight random words that had crazy origins. But the very first one was avocado. And, you know, avocados are having um, a moment. And I love me an avocado. Delicious So moment. I was like, okay, you know, I'll just read this about the etymology of the avocado. So really, my word, nerd word is avocado. The word avocado comes from Spanish aguacate. That sound like the way the Spanish people would pronounce that word? I don't know. Which in turn comes from the nahuatl, ahuacatl. So sorry. But anyway, it means testicle. Surprised, perhaps, but the more one thinks about it, the less surprising it gets. (laughs) Especially when you see avocado duos dangling from trees. Nahuatl is the language of the Aztecs and is still spoken by approximately 1.5 million people native to Central America. Avocado isn't the only word which has been borrowed by the English language. 
from the Nahuatl. Chili, chocolate, tomato, and guacamole were also coined by speakers of Nahuatl. Indeed, the moli of guacamole is derived from the Nahuatl moli, which means sauce. It's a good thing the origin of this word has been obfuscated on its way into the English language. Otherwise, guacamole probably wouldn't be as popular as it is. And Excellent. so that's from the um, yeah, I, article. I totally have to go next. Okay, but I want to do a quick segue because okay. Avocado reminds me there's a great song by a band called Los Campesinos called Avocado okay. Baby. And the line is, heart of stone, skin so tough it's crazy. That's why they call me the Avocado Baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. All right. What's yours, Kirsten? I just have to go next because my nerd word is dongle. <laughs> and that's why I'm missing Trevor here who'd be, who'd be like, hey oh, hey um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so another shout out to Cheryl. Like I said, she's a big fan of the podcast, but she has a new iPhone and uh, she hasn't been able to listen with her old earphones um, on the new iPhone. And she was like, how am I going to do this? And then she learned about the dongle. <laughs> <laughs> and the dongle, of course, it's, the word has been around for a long time. And it means a small piece of computer hardware uh, that connects to a port on another device. So, of course, I wanted to... I found this like amazing article from uh, The Atlantic. The origin of the word dongle, nice. seven leading theories. Oh, <laughs> seven. <laughs> leading. And Which means starts, there's others that are not leading. And it starts with <laughs> dongles dangle. All right. With me, which is why I needed to. Now, I'm not going to talk about every, like each, each, each theory, but um, so some have said that the name came about, it's just arbitrary mm. or that it's a corruption of the word dangle um which could be or it's an appropriation from poetry mm. uh, the word dongle has uh, has been in use most often in poetry as an onomatopoeic term for the ringing of bells to wit this 1915 poem the bells of berlin mm. the bells of berlin how they hearten the hun Oh, dingle dong dangle ling dongle ding dee <laughs> Hey. Um, okay, but still, what, 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 wait, one more. Um, okay, and then there was also, I guess, in Byte magazine, there was an ad by Rainbow Technologies in 1992 that said that dongle was actually derived from its inventor, who was a Mr. Don Gall. Uh, but the I best, really his last name right at be the dongle. end, the most obvious explanation is this. That dongle is the result of a classic portmanteau. Dave Wilton has a leading theory on dongle, and it is this. The word is most likely a blend of dong and dangle, as it can resemble a penis that hangs off a computer. <laughs> it all comes back to the bits. <laughs> I know. So this is why I had to go up. So, so dongle. The computer hey bits, right? Hey-o. That's right. <laughs> can I say penis on this uh, podcast? We'll just mark it explicit. Okay. <laughs> Although it's not really, like, kids well, should know. know that word. That's right. That's right. <sighs> Alan? Moving away from anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> what? Or maybe expanding upon my own anatomy, if you really oh, dear. I mean, not that anatomy. <laughs> Are we going to have to edit this part out, Alan? <laughs> so, uh, my, my nerd word is clipless, from clipless pedals being a type of pedal that you get for your bike, which uh, somewhat nonsensically you clip into. Um, <laughs> 
So there's those type of, there are those t- from Wikipedia, clipless pedals require a special cycling shoe with a cleat fitted to the sole, which locks into a mechanism into the pedal and thus holds the shoe firmly to the pedal. <laughs> so clipless pedals, uh, which I just got this month. So the anatomy you refer to is your foot. Is well, is <laughs> just, my is so they say that clipless pedals help you go faster, but really I wanted to become one with my machine part. Oh, connection. So I was like uh-huh. clipping into my bike. Is is basically <laughs> right. How it is. So you're going to be a human bicycle cyborg. I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, some sort of centaur, but instead of <laughs> the body of a horse, I have the body of a bicycle. Got to be come up with a name for that. Um, but I mean, really, that's all I have about about clipless. Like I. I the guy at the store said to, to practice on a field because you will like fall yeah. down constantly because you have to like shift your heel out to be able to get out of the out of the heels. And he's like, yeah. everyone falls. <laughs> and I talked to some of my other biker friends and they're like, yeah, I fell. I would like to say that I've had it for like a month. I have not fallen once. Yeah, you're going to fall like, later yeah, today. Just <laughs> jinxed. Just because I you have, said that. I have no more, no more biking today. <laughs> okay, tomorrow then. Apparently it's much more, da- well, obviously much more dangerous to fall off when you're clipped in. When, when I did have yeah. a biking accident a few years ago and I like called the, uh, uh, what, what that medical line is. Uh, 911? No. Helpline. <laughs> <laughs> Helpline. That's the one. The first thing they asked me was, were you clipped into oh, your bike? Oh. Uh, which I was not, so thankfully. So they didn't hang up on oh, you. Yeah. Good. So clipless. <laughs> good so, words. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to sign off for this month. Thank you so much, dear readers, for tuning into this, our 19th episode of the Time to <laughs> Read podcast. In August, join us as we read The Changeling by Victor Laval. Get on the conversation by finding us on Facebook or emailing us at wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. We'd love it if you hit subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast service. We'd love it even more if you were to give us a five-star rating. And until next time, make sure you find Time to Read. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Time to Read podcast. We were talking about All Systems Read by Martha Wells. Time to Read is a production of the Winnipeg Public Library. Our panel today included Alan Chorney, Kirsten Werman, Erica Ball, and Dennis Penner. Trevor is away on holiday, but will return. Our webmaster is Aaron Seaburn. Our social media guru is Regan Brew. Audio production and music by Dennis Penner. Some of the comments from this episode came from Fatima. You can be a part of our show, too. Email us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca with suggestions for books that you'd like us to read and discuss, and comments and questions about the book we're reading for our next show. Visit us on the web at wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Check out our show notes with links to some of the things we talked about today, and take part in a discussion about the books we're reading. You can also join our Facebook group. Next month, we're reading The Changeling by Victor Laval. We're looking forward to hearing what you think about it. Saying the word awkward. Okay. <laughs>